Let us begin uh, by asking the Lord's blessing upon our time of study. Please stand with me. Our glorious God, we come to thee in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask our, our Lord that thou would meet with us, that thou would give to us of thy spirit to understand thy word. Lord, we are ignorant and uh, without understanding if uh, thou dost not give it unto us. We thank thee that, that thou hast given to us uh, the mind of Christ in our regeneration, and may we grow uh, in that mind having the mind of Christ. We ask, Lord, that thou would cleanse us of our sins as we, as we approach thee, that our sins would in no way hinder our, uh, our understanding, that our sins would not mislead and deceive us, but that, Lord, uh, we may see clearly and apply thy word. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're looking at John chapter 9, verses 6 through 12 this evening. But in order to pick up the context, I'm going to begin with John 9, 1. So we'll read verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors therefore and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. <coughs> therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. <coughs> 
So as John chapter 9 begins, Christ's disciples asked the Lord Jesus when they saw this man that had no doubt sat there for many years, knowing that he had been born blind, they asked who was responsible, who was the cause of this man's blindness, being born blind. Was it the man himself or was it his parents that was the cause of this? The sin of the man or the sin of the parents? And Jesus declares that neither the personal sin of the man nor of his parents was the direct cause of this man being born blind. But rather, the Lord Jesus says that he was born blind in order that he might glorify God at that particular point in history, at that point in his life, at that moment, he was born blind that he might glorify God through his healing. In verse 3, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, all of the miseries that this man had suffered throughout his whole life, which were, doubt, uh, were, were no doubt many miseries. Uh, to be born blind is uh, a misery in itself, but to be born blind in that particular time of history as compared to today had many more uh, disadvantages uh, to somebody living at that time. But all of his miseries as well as all of our miseries in this life we are taught here are under the sovereign control of the Lord Jesus. Whatever we have experienced by way of miseries in this life and they will either, those miseries will either glorify his justice in bringing his judgment upon unrepentant, uh, wicked people, or will glorify his mercy in rescuing undeserving sinners, especially in showing. Because as we, as we look at our lives in how we came to Christ, and even if we were very young when we came to Christ, we've gone through a lot uh, in our lives if we uh, have come to uh, ages of maturity. And we've looked back, we can reflect back what God took us through. Every one of us can do that. And uh, so much of what we went through was very hard, uh, very difficult uh, by way of experiences. But again, uh, the Lord is saying here to the concerning this blind man, but to us all, that all of that uh, was designed in order to glorify God, uh, in order to show forth the works of God in our lives as, as Christians, as believers. But even in the lives of unbelievers, uh, in order to show forth the works of God, uh, you know, this... this uh, mighty hurricane, Ian, that destroyed uh, so much property and, and lives lost. Again, we say, how in the world does that glorify God? And yet, uh, we know from God's word that uh, these are not 
uh, random acts of nature. Uh, these are the acts of Almighty God. That's what we're taught in his word. And therefore, there is, even if we cannot specifically, if somebody asks, what was the purpose in all of this? Uh, we may not be able to itemize the purpose as it related to each person's life. One would need to be God to understand all of that, as wise as God is, which none of us are. But we can say uh, that, that those mighty works of God are brought in order to glorify either his justice, by way of bringing judgment upon the wicked, awakening, seeking to awaken people to the, um, the short term and futility um, the vanity of this life, uh, that there's more and uh, uh, to come after this life and that this uh, judgment or this act of God is simply uh, something that is temporal, but there is coming an act of God by way of judgment that will last for all eternity for those who do not turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Even the greatest sin ever perpetrated, uh, the suffering of Jesus Christ, uh, the uh, chief priests, the Romans, um, uh, in crucifying and vilifying and the false witness and the scourging and all that he suffered, was the greatest wrong ever brought against uh, anyone in this world. And yet God used that, the greatest wrong brought against his only begotten son, he used that to bring forth the greatest good, the salvation of mankind in pouring forth his judgment upon Christ that we might be delivered uh, from our sins, uh, forgiven. Our text uh, begins uh, for this evening in verse 6, where <clears throat> verse 6 says, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now we can pass over that very quickly, and, uh, but uh, in a Bible study, I hope that that's not what you would expect, that we would spend some time talking about this because it is very interesting um, to spit on someone in that culture meant basically what it means in our own culture it means to shame someone it means to humiliate someone it means to show scorn uh, for that person going back to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 12 verse 14 for example numbers 12:14 we read and the lord said unto moses if her father had but spit in her face should she not be ashamed 7 days let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that, let her be received in again. The context here is that uh, Miriam and Aaron 
had spoken against Moses because he had taken, apparently his wife had died, and he had taken uh, an Ethiopian woman uh, to be his wife. And they spoke against uh, him in verse 2, uh, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And so they basically were saying, has, has God only uh, spoken through Moses? Is, is, is um, he the only one that God has used to receive revelation? Hasn't the Lord likewise spoken through us as well? And so they uh, were exalting themselves at, um, at the... Uh, expense of Moses and uh, putting Moses down exalting themselves verse 3 says now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth and uh, the Lord was very uh, angry uh, with particularly Miriam uh, with them both but with Miriam apparently she was the ringleader and brought uh, leprosy uh, upon Miriam and Moses interceded for Miriam, and the Lord uh, healed her of that leprosy. But uh, the spitting aspect of this in verse uh, 14, it tells us that uh, God says to Moses, if her father, Miriam's father, had spit upon her in her face, uh, should she not be ashamed seven days? Um, so, Spitting was a, upon somebody was a way of shaming them, showing contempt for them or uh, uh, humiliating them. And uh, so uh, would basically uh, mean that if someone spat upon it was kind of a, a sign of uncleanness and so should, should go through a ceremonial cleansing for seven days. Uh, so. That's one example we have in the Old Testament. Um, likewise, in Deuteronomy 25, verse 9, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 25, verse 9, and I, I'm, I'm doing this because I think that we need to, again, understand the significance of what Jesus did in healing this man that was born blind. Deuteronomy 25.9 says, uh, Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. At that particular period of, uh, uh, of history, uh, and by way of God's judicial law in, uh, given to Israel in the Old Testament, uh, if a uh, man died who was married, uh, then it was the responsibility of his unmarried brother to raise up children uh, to the deceased brother. Uh, it's called a leveret marriage. And uh, so this context uh, in which this chapter occurs is, is within that idea that here you have a deceased brother, the, the wife of the deceased uh, brother then goes to the, a living brother 
uh, who uh, should be very willing uh, to take his, his um, brother's widow and to marry her so as to raise up children, at least to raise up that, that firstborn child uh, to the, uh, uh, to, the uh, to be the posterity of the deceased brother, so that the deceased brother has a lineage that continues on uh, and legally is considered to be uh, the, the line of that brother that died. But if the living brother says, no, I'm not going to do that, then this is what it says that the wife of the deceased brother is to do, is to go up to the living brother in the presence of the elders, so this is not done you know, secretly, this is done publicly in the presence of the elders, to take his shoe off <clears throat> from off his foot, to spit in his face, and to utter these words, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And so uh, this was again a way of shaming uh, that, that uh, individual, uh, that living brother, to, to bring shame upon him for his unwillingness uh, to raise up uh, the seed to the deceased brother. In Job 30, verse 10, <coughs> Job 30, verse 10, one of the speeches of uh, Job to uh, his so-called friends, <coughs> he says, um, Speaking of how he's being treated, uh, even by those who are younger than himself, which again was a great um, uh, shame, in, uh, particularly uh, in that culture, should be a shame in our culture to be treated, uh, for the younger to treat the elders with uh, scorn and ridicule uh, and uh, not to consider them to be honored among them, but uh, Job says in verse 10, they abhor me, they flee far from me, and spare not to spit in my face. Um, the younger are taking upon themselves to spit in the face of, of Job, uh, now that he has all of the miseries that have fallen upon him. <coughs> Uh, they are uh, ridiculing him, making fun of him, and they are spitting in his face as a sign of, of scorn and uh, shame, which, again, he did not deserve, but that was what was happening to him. Isaiah 50, verse 6, is a prophecy of the treatment that the Lord Jesus would receive. Isaiah 50, verse 6, says, I gave my back to the smiters, that was his scourging, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Again, shame and spitting 
associated one with the other. And then and, um, we find that actually fulfilled in Matthew 26, 67, uh, the uh, trial before the Sanhedrin, after that was completed, uh, he was beaten and spat upon. And then in Matthew 27, 30, the civil trial, not the ecclesiastical, but the civil trial uh, that he went through after that was completed, the soldiers uh, did the same thing uh, to him. Uh, again, they beat him, they took a rod and beat down the crown of thorns into his skull. Uh, they uh, blindfolded him, uh, they punched him, and they spat upon him. Interestingly, uh, in what we find here in John chapter 9 with regard to the Lord uh, spitting into the soil and uh, forming some kind of, a, it says, a clay, um, we see in Mark chapter 7 uh, that Jesus uh, in beginning with verse 31 Mark 7 31 there was a a man who was deaf in verse 32 and had an impediment in his speech. And those around him besought Christ that he would put his hand upon the man and heal him. Jesus doesn't put his hand upon the man and heal him. Uh, rather, verse 33, he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers <clears throat> into his ears. Jesus put his fingers into his ears and he spit uh, and touched his tongue uh, with his spittle. Uh, and again, we can say uh, that, that sounds really gross. Um, and, but the, again, uh, there's a reason, there's a purpose behind this because it was extraordinary. Jesus didn't do that uh, ordinarily. But there are these occasions, a uh, few occasions that are recorded in which he did those types of things. Uh, and there is a reason why. And again, we want to summarize that uh, very shortly here. Turn just one more chapter to uh, Mark 8. And we find another example of this. Verses 22 through 26. <clears throat> When he came to Bethsaida, uh, they they brought a blind man unto him, and again they besought him, they besought Christ to touch him, you know, basically to like, put his hands upon the blind man that he might see. Jesus doesn't do that. <clears throat> he, it says in verse twenty three, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, again away from the multitude. <clears throat> And when he had spit on his eyes, spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him. After he had spit on his eyes, then he put his hands on him. He asked if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. 
After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. <clears throat> we see from this example, again, uh, the use of the Lord spitting this time uh, into his blind eyes. Uh, but he heals uh, gradually, uh, not all at once, uh, not a full recovery uh, immediately, but a, a gradual. First of all, uh, the man says, I see men as trees walk, uh, I see uh, men as trees walking. Uh, in other words, uh, I, I, can't, I can't distinguish clearly uh, all the features. I just see these, you know, these things moving, uh, but I can't really tell what they are. And uh, so the, here is a gradual healing. Then the Lord healed him uh, fully. But uh, this was, I think, a test of the man's faith in, in Mark 8. Um, that if uh, Jesus could heal partially, uh, then Jesus could heal fully. And so uh, basically taking this man through a partial healing uh, to strengthen his faith, uh, that he might be healed completely and fully. But I think that's important we understand that all healing is from God. Sometimes it may seem we don't receive a full healing uh, with regard to certain uh, maladies and illnesses or uh, afflictions that we might suffer. Uh, we might see ministries walking. Um, uh, um, but we don't see clearly, as it were. Um, but even that is a healing, even if it's a partial healing, it's a, it's a healing from the Lord. And um, the Lord can choose to leave us with that partial healing, but he wants us to, to know that if he's able to heal us partially, he's able to heal us fully and completely. And he will heal us fully and completely in, when our bodies are raised from the dead at the final resurrection, they will be completely healed. So there is coming a time when our bodies will not be partially healed, but will be fully healed. Uh, that will be at the resurrection. <clears throat> now back to <clears throat> John chapter 9. <clears throat> Why did Jesus uh, use spittle as a means uh, to heal this man born blind? Uh, in this particular case, he didn't spit into the eye as he did in Mark 8, or spit on the tongue as he did in Mark 7, but he, he still used spittle uh, to uh, put uh, upon the man's eye. And uh, so we, the question arises, why did Jesus do this? Why didn't he do what he has done in other occasions and simply utter the word that someone be healed or place his hands upon the individual or upon that part of the body that was to be healed? Well, let me suggest <clears throat> here that Jesus is teaching us that 
He's not bound <clears throat> solely to one way of healing us, whether physically or spiritually, in our body or our soul. He's not bound uh, to one particular way. Uh, he heals through many different means. He brings healing to us bodily, sometimes through medicine, uh, through doctors, through nutrition, through exercise, through rest, um, through other means uh, that he provides. He still receives all the glory, should receive all the glory, for he's the one who has healed us, even if he uses different means physically uh, with regard to illnesses, or he can heal us if he chooses to without any means. He can heal us supernaturally, miraculously, instantaneously. That's entirely up to him, but he's not bound to any particular means. And the same thing is true of our spiritual healing. Many different ways, if, if we were to um, take a poll as to what means God used in your life and compare that with somebody else in, in the building here, in the study, and someone else, and someone else, I think we would collect a lot of different ways in which the Lord brought us unto himself. I believe that we would find also, since becoming Christians, uh, that God has used many different means to sanctify us. Many things that were very distasteful, many things that were very unpleasant, many things that were very hard, and we would not have chosen that for ourselves, but the Lord took us through those trials, through those miseries, uh, things that were very difficult in order to uh, humble us, to use his spittle, because the spittle, again, when he applies that, with the clay or the dirt to, to form clay and to anoint the man's eyes, he's basically um, saying that we must be humbled before him if we would be healed. Uh, because remember that spitting was a form of humiliation. And we must be many times, uh, because of our pride, because of our self-righteousness, uh, because of our self-exaltation, we must be humbled before we can be healed. Uh, we must be humbled before we are exalted. And so the Lord uses this means of the spittle uh, to, uh, to show to us, uh, I believe, that he uses so many different means, and again, as I said, that probably would not have been the means that the man born blind uh, would have told Jesus, yes, Jesus, I can't wait for you to uh, spit in my eye or uh, my tongue or, or to make clay out, out of your spittle and apply it to my eye, but that was what the Lord chose, to humble, to humble the man. Uh, and uh, the Lord uses the same 
uh, and similar kinds of things in our own lives to humble us in order to heal us. Remember, again, uh, the difficult and hard means that God used uh, to sanctify, say, Joseph, uh, being sold into slavery, serving in a prison, being lied about, serving many years uh, in prison for something he didn't do. Uh, that was, that was a, a kind of humiliation uh, uh, for Joseph to prepare him for that exaltation. Likewise, Job and all that he went through uh, and the suffering that he went through was preparation for his exaltation. Uh, the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 whose, whose daughter was possessed of a demon and in her particular case <clears throat> she came seeking uh, help from the Lord and the disciples said, uh, Lord, uh, send her away. She's, she's making a nuisance of herself. She's following us because she's asking um, for help for her daughter. And uh, the, you recall the Lord uh, says to her, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. <clears throat> that uh, was again a kind of spitting uh, in her eye um, uh, by way of testing her faith, uh, by way of seeing whether uh, she was truly humble, uh, whether that would uh, infuriate her and turn her away from following Christ or whether that would be, again, a means of humbling her. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, she continues to appeal to the Lord and, and the Lord says, it's not uh, right, it's not fitting to take the food that is given to the children at the table and to give it to dogs. And so he spits, as it were, in her eye again by calling her a dog, a Gentile dog. She was a Canaanite. And yet she says, uh, even the little dogs, even the dogs beneath the table can eat the scraps that fall from the, from the uh, table of the children. And uh, the Lord then says, uh, great is thy faith. And, and he set her daughter free from that demon. But that was again a way of... of uh, humiliating, as, as it were, spitting in her eye. It was not the, the clay, and we need to understand, it was not the clay that healed the blind man uh, at all, but it was Christ and his word and his power that healed the blind man. So we don't put any faith in, in the clay, uh, in the spittle, um, Likewise, it was not the Jordan River <clears throat> that healed Naaman, uh, the Syrian captain uh, that was told to go and wash himself seven times by Elisha. Uh, it wasn't the Jordan River that healed Naaman. It was, again, uh, the power of the living God that did so. 
It was not the shed blood of an animal that cleansed uh, sin uh, from those who offered sacrifices in the Old Testament. Uh, because we're told in Hebrews that there is no, the, the shedding of blood does not take away. The shedding of the animal's blood does not take away sin. Uh, that uh, is, is not uh, possible. Uh, likewise, it wasn't the brazen serpent that the Israelites were told to look upon uh, that healed the Israelites when they were bitten by the fiery serpents sent among them because they had uh, disobeyed the Lord. It was the Lord in each of those cases that healed. In fact, Jesus healed the blind man by that which seemed more likely to increase his blindness. Putting clay over his eyes, uh, one would think that would be, you know, kind of counterproductive uh, to actually healing, uh, uh, but that's what Jesus did. And again, that's to tell us and to help us to understand it may not seem to us that whatever we're going through that Jesus brings into our lives, it may seem like it's making the situation worse by putting clay upon our eyes. It may seem like uh, the, the trial that we're facing or the circumstance or the people or whatever it may be is only making the situation worse. But again, Jesus knows what we need. Jesus knows that that clay applied to our eyes or that circumstance or person or people or situation you're facing. He knows uh, that that is, again, the means that he's going to use to actually sanctify you, to bring healing to you spiritually, to grow you. Every sincere Christian <clears throat> wants to grow spiritually. Every sincere Christian wants to grow spiritually from infancy to maturity. A sincere Christian doesn't want to stay a child, spiritually speaking. Doesn't want to stay a child all of his or her life. But we so often question the means that Jesus uses to grow us. We say, Lord, grow me. And he sends all of these trials to grow us. And yet we say, but I don't want to grow that way. We're, we're telling him how we want to grow and by what means we want to grow. But the whole idea of the spittle is to teach us he's the one who determines how he's going to heal us, the means he's going to use. He's the one who heals us. But he's the one who, uh, he's the one who determines the means by which he's going to grow us and to heal us. In each of these cases, he's humbling us and using the means that will best mortify our pride so that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Verse 7, John 9, 7 says... <clears throat> 
And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. There was no healing power, just as there was no healing power in the clay that was applied to this man's eyes, there was no healing power um, <clears throat> likewise in the pool of Siloam. Siloam. And there, just as there was no healing power in the waters of Bethesda in John chapter 5, the impotent man, uh, that the waters that were stirred by an angel and the first one to get into the water was healed. There was no healing power in the water itself. <clears throat> Just as there, there's no healing power uh, in the sacraments. Uh, there's no healing power in, in the water of baptism. There's no healing power in the bread and the wine. It's, it's not the elements that have uh, the power. It's the Lord Jesus that has the power. Those are simply means that he uses appointed means that he uses. True faith, dear ones, always issues forth in loving obedience. We know from, again, James 2.17, faith without works is, is dead. And so we see uh, this man's faith evidenced by the fact that when Jesus says go wash in the pool of Siloam uh, that he does he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing <clears throat> the, the pool of uh, Siloam was a man made pool that was close to Jerusalem and was fed by a nearby spring <clears throat> the fact here that we see very little mentioned uh, with regard to details uh, it simply says that he went his way therefore and washed and came sing we don't really have detailed information about what was his reaction you know immediately when when he could see, here's a man he'd never seen before. And now he can see, well, we can imagine there was probably some kind of reaction that, that he had there uh, at being able to see for the first time. And yet we're not told what, what that reaction was. <clears throat> we don't know uh, either how he got to the Pool of Siloam. Uh, we're not told at least. But he most likely was guided there by uh, friends or those standing by uh, who had witnessed uh, what Jesus had done. <clears throat> we know from what we read here, however, he was healed instantaneously. Uh, he didn't see men as trees walking. He was healed instantly. He was healed fully as he washed the clay from his eyes. <coughs> Jesus uh, was not even physically present uh, there. It doesn't say Jesus accompanied him. In fact, we'll, as we consider the account, he didn't know where Jesus was. 
So Jesus wasn't physically present there, and yet he was healed. Jesus did not lay his hands upon the man, other than to apply the spittle and the clay. But when he was healed, there, washing his eyes with the water in the pool of Siloam, Jesus wasn't present. I think this is helpful in this regard to understand that Jesus did not need to be present physically in order to heal this man. Jesus does not need to be physically present here among us to bless us, to physically heal us, to spiritually sanctify us. He, he's physically, bodily in heaven. He does not have to be here, and yet um, he is present by his spirit. Uh, he is very much present with us, but he doesn't have to be here physically. Jesus did not sensationalize this miracle, uh, at, as, as uh, is so often the case with the charlatans that claim to be healers on television or on the radio and these rallies or whatever um, one might call them, service, healing services uh, today, <clears throat> who sensationalize um, what goes on. Uh, who make themselves the center of attention. Jesus was not even present physically, bodily, when this happened. When we read that in verse 7, the blind man came seeing, we probably are to understand that he returned home to those who were his neighbors. He came home seeing in verse and we notice uh, again as we move on to verse 8, uh, tying that idea into verse 8. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? So again, the fact that the neighbors said this would tend to indicate that after he was healed, washed his eyes at the pool of Siloam, and was healed, that he then came seeing back to his home, his residence. Um, and the neighbors, those who knew him, those who were in his neighborhood there, they knew that this was the man uh, that had been born blind, that was now healed of his blindness. Not only did his neighbors recognize the man, who had been born blind, but also all those <clears throat> who had seen him begging for all of those years, they recognized him and asked with amazement, is not this he that sat and begged? The, this question is, has a negative in it, is not, uh, the word not there is a negative, is not this he that sat and begged? And the use of the negative, uh, when the, the negative is the Greek word oo or ook, uh, that expects a positive answer. When the negative is may, the, the Greek word may, uh, that would expect a negative answer, but this is 
the word uk that is used here, uh, which is just a longer form of the, of the negative u. And it expects a, a, a positive answer. Yes, this is the man. This is him. Verse 9. Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. There were those who unequivocally declared he was the same man. Probably his neighbors um, would have said this is the same man. But others, it would seem, were so astonished if they had even seen him begging uh, there uh, at the temple gate. They were so astonished and maybe they were unfamiliar with him, but I would submit that perhaps those who were not so closely familiar with him that just saw him at the, at the gate but did not know him you know, personally, they might have looked upon him and seen his countenance completely different, um, that he didn't look like maybe the same man now that he was healed. And so they might have honestly said, I'm not sure if this is the same man. Um, yeah, that may have been simply due to, you know, how the eyes, um, you know, can uh, either, you know, be a window or, or they can be, you know, a very dark. I mean, it can change the way you appear, um, your, your, your countenance. And so perhaps, again, um, that was part of the reason why some of them said uh, it looks like, you know, the same man, but it, it, you know they weren't sure. They were, they were, you know, in some doubt. But he he himself clarifies, uh, makes very clear that he is uh, the same man that was born blind and was at the temple gate begging for all of those years. Verse ten. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? Very natural question. You know, people who are in astonishment <coughs> want to know how, how this man came to see. They, they knew that he was once blind, in fact, born blind. How were his eyes miraculously opened? A very natural question to ask. Verse 11. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. We're not told how the blind man knew that Jesus was the one who had healed him specifically. Perhaps Jesus had told him that uh, who he was, though it's not specifically mentioned in the text. Or perhaps others who followed the man to the pool of Siloam told him that it was Jesus that had put the spittle and clay upon his eyes and commanded that he go and wash in the pool of Siloam. We're not really told uh, how he came to know specifically that it was Jesus, but he did come to know that it was Jesus um, that had uh, healed him. Jesus was certainly well known uh, in Jerusalem 
He was well known in Judah. Uh, he was well known in Samaria. He was well known in Galilee. Uh, he had that type of, of um, fame uh, throughout uh, all of Israel at that time. Multitudes of crowds followed him. Uh, that would have been, again, uh, probably amongst events. What did Jesus do this week? You know, passing along uh, current events. So, uh, wh what, what happened uh, in Galilee or what happened in Jerusalem? Because he was moving around in various parts of, 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 of the country. So he was no doubt known in Jerusalem quite well, Jesus was. How this uh, blind man uh, had not been uh, healed by the Lord Jesus before this time, again, we might ask, uh, you know, here, here is somebody who was probably at the temple gate begging for years. Jesus may have passed by him. The disciples may have passed by him many times before. And he wasn't healed. But he was healed on this particular occasion. This was the appointed time for him to be healed. And again, it teaches us that God has his appointed time in our lives. We may cry out to him, we may pray unto him for various things uh, in our lives that we desire for the Lord to work out. And he may pass us by, as it were, many times uh, without there being uh, a healing, maybe a healing uh, in our body, a healing in our soul, a heal healing in a relationship um, may happen again many times that we, Jesus passes by but again doesn't mean that he's not going to. We can't lose hope. We cannot say simply because Jesus has passed by times before as we called out to him, cried out to him doesn't mean that 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 appointed time for healing is not yet to come. And it will come. Again, ultimately, uh, it will come uh, through our glorification uh, in, in, in heaven. But even here upon earth, many times we see that his appointed time has just been delayed, not that it was dismissed altogether. I like the fact that, uh, and I think it's instructive, in verse 11, the testimony of this blind man. He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus. He doesn't begin with a how. He came to be healed. He begins with the who healed him. He begins with Jesus, and then he goes to how he was healed. And so, dear ones, it, it's again, I think, instructive to us to always begin with the who. When God hears and answers our prayer, 
uh, even if it's a miraculous answer to prayer, or whether it's uh, if it's not miraculous, uh, you know, uh, even if by means that God gives answer to our prayer, He always answers our prayer. But when He gives a yes uh, to that prayer by way of answering it, He either answers yes or no or wait. But when he gives us a yes, let's not begin with the how. That it occurred by all of our praying and, and our fasting and, and our good works and, and all of the, and let it, let's begin with the who. Let us give glory to God. That's the testimony of this man uh, who was healed, a man that is called Jesus, made clay. All glory belongs to the Lord Jesus. Let this be the pattern for us all as well. In verse 12, <clears throat> Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. Again, it's very noticeable. Is it not? It's very noticeable here in this instance that Jesus was not physically present with the man. He doesn't even know where Jesus is. At this, at this time. <clears throat> Jesus is not out drawing a crowd and parading himself before the crowd, but was physically absent, not drawing attention to himself by way of promoting himself. Because Jesus came to serve not to glorify himself. The Father and the Spirit glorify him. Jesus didn't come to glorify himself. That's the pattern for us as well. <coughs> Especially those who are in the ministry. A pattern for us. Uh, not to parade ourselves, not to set ourselves up um, uh, before men, uh, not to exalt ourselves and a sure sign, I believe, of uh, the type of man that you do not want to follow is one that is parading himself, his gifts, his abilities before men. That is, uh, I think, a very clear indication uh, of someone who has to be in the limelight. Uh, someone who is not coming to serve, but to be served. And so again, that I think is especially true of the ministry, but I believe it's also true of all, uh, all of us in general uh, as well. So I close with, with a reading from Philippians chapter two. That wonderful passage dealing with the humiliation of Jesus Christ. Let this same humility that was in Jesus be in us as well. If he, uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion, 
as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which again, when it says even the death of the cross, that was a sign of, of a curse, the most shameful way uh, to die. But he was willing to die the most shameful kind of death in order to redeem his people. Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. <clears throat> Our glorious God, how we praise Thee uh, for Thy holy word, which, Lord, we, we only scratch the surface in seeking to understand Thy word, and we thank Thee thank thee for the measure of illumination that thou hast given to us but lord help us to strive to endeavor to seek thy face that we might understand more and more of thy word and and uh, understand uh, it more deeply uh, uh, help us our lord to be able to apply it uh, more consistently in our lives. We thank thee, our Lord, for the example of our Savior uh, who humbled himself even uh, to dying upon the cursed cross for us, to bear thy wrath and condemnation for us. We ask, our Lord, that, uh, that we might likewise be those uh, who uh, are not out to parade ourselves before others, but rather uh, to be those who serve uh, on behalf of Christ. We ask that thou would hear us and that thou, thy blessing might rest upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Any questions uh, or comments from the Bible study this evening? <clears throat> okay. All right. Thank you all for joining us.